Hello and welcome to the Estate Planners Podcast. My name is Anthony Brinkman and this is the place for will writers, estate planners and solicitors that are interested in finding out the tips, tools and technicalities to best help their clients. This is episode 22 entitled Step Provisions 3rd Edition. In 1992, STEP, the Society for Trust and Estate Practitioners, published the first edition of their standard provisions. These were a set of ready-made clauses for inclusion into wills and trusts in England and Wales to provide the powers that enable trustees and executors to effectively execute their duties. Prior to its publication, such documents needed to include those clauses within the body of the text, but the step provisions allowed for a single clause to be inserted that referenced the provisions, thus saving a significant amount of time and lengthy documents that dealt with relatively routine matters. The provisions were updated in 2011 following changes in the law, And now in 2023, the provisions have been updated once more to their third edition. The purpose of this episode is to provide some understanding of the provisions and to outline some of the updates that have been made. However, it should be noted that the conscientious practitioner should take the time to read and understand the provisions in their entirety and be able to think with them in relation to each client that they see. It's common practice now to include the standard provisions into most wills and trusts and up-to-date software will give the option to do so. This episode is not, therefore, a substitute for detailed study. I'm sure that goes without saying, but I do hope that you will find it to be a useful supplement to that study and, at the very least, a good introduction to the STEP standard provisions and special provisions. The STEP website can provide you with the new edition in full, as well as the previous two editions of the provisions, and this third edition also includes a toolkit, frequently asked questions, practice direction, and an overview guide for clients. I'm sure if you already include the second edition of the provisions in your wills, then you will have been asked from time to time by a client, what does this mean? What are these standard provisions? You may have provided your clients with the full provisions themselves, which is not a bad thing to do, but the guide for clients is perhaps a little easier for the layman to understand if they're not familiar with the language that's used in the step provisions. Let's start with some basics. There are two categories of provisions, standard and special. There are 12 standard provisions and eight special provisions. The standard provisions will tend to be incorporated into wills for broad application, whereas the special provisions will tend to be related to only certain clients or certain circumstances where the inclusion of one or more of those provisions is appropriate. Of course, the standard provisions themselves might need to be tailored to the individual client too, and care should be taken to understand the client's requirements when drafting. So let's take a look at the 12 standard provisions. Number one, incorporation of the step standard provisions. 
This simply outlines the appropriate wording to be used to include the provisions in the document, whether that's just the standard provisions, the standard provisions plus all special provisions, or a selection of the provisions appropriate to that client. Number two, interpretation. This provides the definitions to be applied to the words that are being used in the provisions. So for example, where the words civil partner is used, it defines that as having the same meaning as in section one of the Civil Partnership Act 2004. The second part of provision two, after the definitions, states that the provisions have effect subject to the principal document. So to be clear about this, if there is any conflict between the powers conferred by the step provisions and the powers outlined in the document itself, it's the document and not the provisions that will be senior. Number three, protection for interest in possession trusts. This provision prevents the accidental loss of inheritance tax advantages for interest in possession trusts. Number four, additional powers. This is the largest of all the provisions and is further broken down into 18 subsections which confer powers to the trustees. Within the space of this episode of this podcast, we're not going to be able to include an understanding of each one of these different 18 subsections. So I'm going to contain this to the headings of those subsections only. And then I'm sure at some future point we will dedicate an episode alone to these additional powers so that there is more understanding of what each of them confer. So the headings of each of those additional powers are as follows. Investment. Management. Joint ownership of property. Income and capital. Handling accumulated income. Occupation or use of trust property the application of trust capital, continuation of trade, handling the trust documents, nomination of others, location of the administration of the trust, payment of taxes, indemnities, securities, appropriation and valuations, receipts by charities, and what to do if the charity no longer exists, the release of powers, and finally, ancillary powers. Provision number five, minors and beneficiaries without capacity. This provision sets out the way in which the trustees can apply income and capital on behalf of a beneficiary that is a minor or lacks capacity and defines persons to who that would apply. Six, disclaimer. A beneficiary can disclaim their interest in a trust and indicates how the trustees might deal with that. Seven, Apportionment. This provision deals with the apportionment of income and capital and how expenditure of the trust is to be treated. 8. Conflicts of interest. This provision addresses what happens in the case of a conflict of interest between duties owed to the trust and the trustee's own personal interest. It also defines who would be classed as an independent trustee in a situation where that is needed. 9. Trustee remuneration. As it suggests, this provision deals with how a professional trustee can be remunerated and for the exercise of what duties to the trust. 10. 
professional trustees and trust corporations. This provision is effectively an addition to the previous one and indicates that such professionals may act according to their terms and conditions of service and provide seniority over those terms to the will or to the trust. 11. Liability of trustees. This outlines the extent of liability of the trustees in the exercising of their duties and the fact that they are not personally liable for losses other than when they have neglected their duties. 12. Subsequent additions of the step provisions. This allows the trustees to adopt future editions of the step standard provisions, but not the special provisions, and therefore allowing for future powers to be kept up to date. Okay, let's move on now to the special provisions. Again, these are not part of what is included in most wills or trusts, and certainly not unless they have been explicitly stated. So to be clear about this, if you have a will in which you have said that the step standard provisions apply, but have not mentioned any of the special provisions, then none of those special provisions will be applicable to that will. The numbering of the provisions carries on from the standard provisions, so therefore the first of them is actually number 13. And here goes. Number 13, borrowing. This extends the powers of the trustees to borrow money, for example, for investment purposes. Borrowed money is then treated as trust money. 14. Delegation. This second special provision allows trustees to delegate any of their trustee activities to a third party. The trustee does have to be satisfied that whoever they have delegated to is competent to perform those activities. 15. Companies. This extends the power to the trustees to start a company, to enter into arrangements with a company, and limits the extent to which a trustee is required to act in relation to a company in which trust property is invested. 16. Powers of maintenance, deferring income entitlement to 25. Income due to a minor may be accumulated or paid to a beneficiary until the age of 18, this provision effectively extends that until a specified age and confirms the extent of the trustee's abilities to change that arrangement. 17. Absolute discretion. This provision extends the trustee's powers to their absolute discretion without the need to consult the trust's beneficiaries. 18. Appointment and retirement of trustees. This provision allows the appointment of trustees outside the UK allows the retirement of a trustee, even when that leaves just one trustee remaining, and allows a trustee to be retired if they lack mental capacity. 19. Powers relating to income and capital. This extends the power to the trustees to invest the trust fund in ways additional to those investment powers given in the standard provisions, and allows for the payment of capital expenses out of income. 20. Relationships unknown to trustees. This final provision deals with the situation of having to pay out to beneficiaries who, at the time of distribution, the trustees had no knowledge of, thereby limiting the liability of the trustees. So there we go. A rapid overview of the standard and the special step provisions. So what then has changed from the previous edition? Well, some of the key changes are as follows. 
Firstly, for provision 5, minors and beneficiaries without capacity. So in the previous edition, provision 5 allowed trustees to provide money to the legal guardians of minor beneficiaries. However, that power has actually now been codified by statute, namely the Inheritance and Trustees Power Act 2014, and therefore it was no longer needed. However, this new provision number 5 is actually a special provision that was included in the previous edition, and it has now been relocated to the standard provisions. As a reminder, this was a provision that sets out the way in which the trustees can apply income and capital on behalf of a beneficiary that is a minor or lacks capacity, and it defines the person to who that would apply. Provision 10, Professional Trustees and Trust Corporations. So in the previous editions, the appointment of such trustees was to be based on the terms and conditions of the professional trustees or the trust corporation that existed at the time of the date of the document. The new edition allows for the T's and C's to be those that are in force at the time of acting. So if, for example, a will is created on the 1st of January 2024, appointing ABC Trust Corporation, in the previous editions, the terms and conditions of that corporation would have to be those that were in force on the 1st of January 2024. In this new edition, let's suppose that the testator passed away in June of the same year and the trust corporation had to begin acting at that point, but they had updated their T's and C's in the March of that year, well, they could use their most up-to-date terms and conditions. Then we have the removal of Special Provision 22. In the previous edition, there was a power for the executors of the estate to value an asset at the time of its distribution to a beneficiary as being the value at the time of death, not at the time of distribution. If you think about the practical problems that could cause in the fair distribution of assets to beneficiaries, you can see that the removal of this power could save some significant dissatisfaction if beneficiaries feel that they've been disadvantaged. In other words, the distribution of an asset could take place some while after the death of a testator. If an asset has increased or decreased in value significantly in the interim, this could unbalance the distribution, couldn't it? So just to address a few immediate questions that might come to mind. Does the third edition of the provisions mean that the first and second editions can no longer be used? Well, in short, no. The first and second editions can still be used. But given that this third edition takes into account the changes in the law, as mentioned here, it's likely that it will be this most up-to-date version that you would want to be using for most clients. It also means that you do not have to go back and rewrite all of those wills that contain reference to the first or the second editions of the step provisions. Of course, when you're reviewing your client's situations from time to time, you may well find that there's something that's changed in a way that is now relevant to incorporate these new provisions in a rewrite of their will. Now, I want to take a moment to actually just read out the executive summary as it is given in the step guide for practitioners, testators and settlers, which follows the provisions in the new edition. It raises an important point. So I'm going to read this word for word as it appears in the guide. It says, a testator or settler should be aware of every term of their will or settlement, including those incorporated by reference through the step standard provisions. But some may feel that they lack the time or the interest to consider every provision 
and wish to leave it to their advisers. Those drafting wills and settlements need to have read and ensured that they fully understand the provisions before incorporating them. The most important and possibly contentious elements of the step standard provisions on which even the busiest testator or settler should be informed are the following provisions. Provision 8. Conflicts of interest. Provision 9. Trustee remuneration. Provision 10. Professional trustees and trust corporations. Provision 11. Liability of trustees. Provision 19. Powers relating to income and capital. Now, of course, having highlighted those, it doesn't mean that the rest can be brushed aside. But it does highlight the fact that the settler and the testator need to be familiar with what it is that they're signing when signing the documents. In this all too busy world where we are unfortunately quite used to scrolling down the various agreements that we make when we're online and we get to that little button at the bottom that says agree or disagree, you just click agree before you've read the pages and pages and pages of information above. Well, the will and a settlement is not a time to be doing that. And you should encourage your clients to make sure that they do read and they do understand exactly what it is that they're signing. Before ending off this episode, I want to again point you in the direction of the STEP website where the new provisions and the accompanying guides, toolkit and FAQ can be found and to encourage you to spend a few hours getting familiar with those materials. Once you are familiar, you'll then be in a better position to be alert to those clients where an alteration of the inclusions would be relevant. So, for example, if you find yourself speaking with a client that has a relatively complex set of investments and they want to appoint trustees that are already assisting that client with those investments, it'd be worth considering and discussing the relevant special provisions such as 13, 19, possibly 15 and 18, depending on the nature of the assets and the trustees. Once again, I find myself considering the depth of a subject touched upon in this podcast and the fact that we should probably dive a little bit deeper into the topic in a future episode and perhaps look at some case studies and applications. Certainly, as mentioned earlier, I will be dedicating an episode to provision number four and all of those various additional powers. We'll be taking a look at each one of those and again, we'll have a look at some applications of them in real life case examples. However, for now, I think we have pretty much exhausted the time available and I do hope that you have found this useful. Please do leave a like and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. I wish you all the best until the next episode and thank you for listening.